Hello, welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a restaurant industry podcast by the Last Bites Network, the product of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor, Brett Thorne. Please let me wish you a happy Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, which starts in a few days in May. March, as you probably know, is Women's History Month, and February is Black History Month. April doesn't seem to be a month for any large gender or racial or ethnic group, although it is Scottish American Heritage Month. It's also sometimes called Earth Month, since Earth Day is on April 22nd. And it's a month for at least 42 other things, including National Afternoon Tea Month, National Alcohol Awareness Month, those two actually go together pretty well, I think, and National Canine Fitness Month. I don't want to diminish any of these months or the causes they represent, but to be honest, it does get pretty tiresome as a journalist to get pitched ideas for these months. I don't get pitched a lot of National Canine Fitness Month ideas, but... Obviously, we want to celebrate and honor Black history in February and women's history in March, just as we want to celebrate them every month. And I acknowledge that it's important to put aside some time to shine a light on and give voice to people we don't hear from often enough. But it's still pretty galling to get pitches like, hey, do you want to write about my woman client because it's Women's History Month? No, I don't want to write about your client because it's March. I want to write about her because she's interesting. And I'd like to do that any month of the year. So even though in April I guess I was supposed to interview a guitar player because it's International Guitar Month, or someone who cooks with pecans because it's National Pecan Month, I went ahead and had a couple of Asian Americans on my podcast, Kevin Tien of Moon Rabbit in my most recent episode, and Amarit Dulia Paibul of Let Us Entertain You Enterprises today, even though it's not their turn for another few days, because of course I always want to have a diverse and beautiful array of voices. I don't care what month it is. So even though, as I said, I acknowledge the need for these special months, I'm going to do what I can to leap ahead and interview a bunch of different people all the time. Today, before I hit record on this interview, I had to ask Amarit how to pronounce his name, because in Thai, his last name would be pronounced something like Dunya Paibun although I think I have the tones wrong there. But he's an American, and he pronounces it Dulia Paibul, just as my last name is Thorne, but when my paternal grandfather's side of the family emigrated from Poland, it certainly would have been pronounced Torn. This is one aspect of the immigration story in America. Anyway, please enjoy my conversation with Amarit Dulia Paibul. Just grateful to, to be here with you today. Thanks so much for your time. I'm so glad to have you. I'm Marit Dulia Paibul. As an American is how you pronounced it. Nailed right? it. Which is awesome. I mean, I guess my last name three generations ago would have been pronounced Torn, but nobody's pronounced it that way for a long time. It's Thorn. I need to hear about this time you spent in Thailand. That, that's, I love that. So I graduated from college in 1990 when there was a little boring um, recession going on. So I got a, an appropriately boring job doing data entry for a company that serviced guaranteed student loans. So I quit 
And I, uh, I'd spent my junior year of college in China, but China's hard. So I didn't want to go back to China, but I basically put a resume in my uh, backpack when traveling with a friend of mine, ended up in Bangkok, where I had been between semesters when I was studying in China. And uh, one thing led to another and blah, blah, yada, yada. I ended up working for an English language business magazine and then a newspaper first as a copy editor and a restaurant critic, mostly uh, reviewing white people food restaurants, you know, French and Italian and like that, because it would have been pretty arrogant to review Thai restaurants. Um, and then I uh, was a copy editor at a newspaper and I had a maid who came six days a week and interesting friends and delicious food and, and a good life. So did you pick up much of the language while you were there? Any of the language? Yeah, my Thai was pretty good by the time I left. Uh, All right. And a good new Thai restaurant has just opened in my neighborhood in in Brooklyn. And so a lot of it's coming back as I talk to them. I uh, recently remembered the word for sweat because no. because the food was spicy enough that I was sweating. So I told them, no, no. Well, that that NG sound doesn't come easily uh, to non-native speakers as well. So uh, this is incredible. So Adikap. And really, really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. And yet you, Amarit, don't do anything with Thai food. You do stuff with Japanese food, right? You have, well, tell everybody all of the restaurants that you're running in Chicago. Um, well, I am very fortunate to work uh, with a group of very dedicated operators here in Chicago uh, at a, an enterprise called Let Us Entertain You. Um, it's a 50-year-old organization that was founded here in Chicago in 1971. Um, and uh, I have the good fortune of operating quite a few different types of restaurants, actually. I, you know, oh. I, I um, was uh, the opening GM of uh, Ramen-san, um, which is a, a ramen uh, noodle concept, uh, just a block away from where I am today uh, at Sushi-san. Um, but, uh, we've scaled that to three units, um, and, uh, have plans to do a lot more with that brand as well. Um, we created, uh, Sushi-san, um, uh, obviously a sushi co concept with a lot of the same culture and, uh, a lot of the same kind of fan base or, or, um, kind of environment and energy from Ramen-san. When we met Chef Kaze a few years ago, we said, you know, we, we have to find a project for this chef and this talent. To work with us on and um, we created the Sushi-san concept um, and from there we've grown into a, a kind of a quick service hand roll bar and grab and go Sushi-san and Willis Tower. Over the last year and a half we also opened most recently the Omakase room at Sushi-san um, that just opened about two months ago um, and we're scaling this as well. We uh, are about to announce a few other locations of Sushi-san coming um, but you know not only those concepts I, I think you know part of what's so fun and exciting about working for the team I get to work for and, and the entrepreneurs I get to work with is that there is such a breadth and a diversity of concepts. I also get to be involved in Il Porcellino, which is a great red sauce Italian concept in River North. Uh, there's Hub 51, there's Bub City and Three Dots and a Dash, uh, you know, kind of a, a barbecue um, kind of honky tonk downtown and below it, Three Dots and a Dash, an incredible cocktail tiki concept. Um, we, during the pandemic, evolved uh, Tall Boy Taco, um, and, uh, and I mean, I could go on and on. I, I get to be involved in quite a few things with, with Let Us Entertain You. Yeah, with Let Us Entertain You, there's no end of the 
possibility of concepts that you could be, because how, I mean, there are a gajillion let us entertain you restaurants. Um, well, you know, for us, I think it's just about making great food and providing hospitality and, and taking care of people. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You know, there's really no end to the permutations of, of those uh, values that we have. And I, it's, it's really just, you know, I feel so fortunate to work with a, a group of entrepreneurs and people that just want to provide great food and great hospitality. And, you know, whether or not it's in a taco forum or a nigiri bite or uh, a plate of lasagna, we'll, you know, we'll, um, we'll kind of develop it and, and hone it. Now you mentioned Chef Kaze, who, who is that? So Chef Kaze Chan is an incredible talent. Uh, we are so fortunate to have him on our team. Uh, as a chef and partner here at Sushi San. Um, we met Chef Kaze uh, about seven years ago uh, when he was transitioning from a few other projects he was working on. Um, but he is a, a chef that uh, was born in Vietnam. Uh, his family immigrated here to the United States, actually to Boston many, many years ago, um, and uh, has worked uh, in many influential uh, Japanese restaurants throughout the city. Um, and, you know, really, when you kind of look at the family tree of sushi talent and, and Japanese restaurants in Chicago, there are few um, there are few culinary talents that he hasn't worked with or worked for or, you know, um, helped kind of influence in some way or another. So, you know, I think that's what's so wonderful about working with Chef Kaze when he starts talking about the experience that he has and recipes that he's developed he starts naming these concepts from 25 years ago uh, that, you know, we all know and love. And it's, you know, I've worked with him for seven years. And even now it's like, wait a minute, Kaze, you worked there? And he's like, well, kid, I own that place. <laughs> like, uh, it's, you know, it's really quite humbling to work with him because uh, he just, he's an incredible talent. Well, how did you get involved in the restaurant world? So I grew up uh, in in restaurant culture. My folks uh, own uh, they owned a few restaurants, a few small Thai restaurants here in Chicago. Um, one of which, Star of Siam, has been around for over forty years in downtown Chicago. Star so of I, Star of Siam, yes, okay. um, still uh, still an incredibly successful kind of Thai institution here in Chicago. Uh, one of the first Thai restaurants in downtown Chicago. Um, you know, at one point, my father had six Thai restaurants uh, all at one time uh, downtown. And um, some of my extended relatives and, and aunts and uncles have taken those over and still run them very successfully today. But I grew up in the dining room. I grew up in the kitchens. Um, you know, my experience in hospitality and taking care of people is it really comes from being with my dad and at that time being kind of forced to work in restaurants. Um you know, every summer it was Taste of Chicago. It was all the outdoor festivals, lugging pod thai and fryer oil back and forth from the restaurant to the event site on Fridays and Saturdays. Even during the school year, the idea was, listen, kid, if you want to, you know, go out and see your friends, uh, you better come into the restaurant after school and work the dinner push. Um, and then you can go out. Uh, so there was always uh, a relationship with hospitality and a relationship with food and beverage and taking care of guests and the energy of being in a full dining room that I think is completely irreplaceable. Um, and, you know, I went to school for something very different. I went to college, uh, Tulane University. I got my graduate degree in architectural design there, um, had a blast in New Orleans and 
and came back to Chicago. Um, you know, like you graduated kind of in a little dip. I graduated in 2009. Uh, pretty that tough time to be dip. an architect. Yeah, that was a, that was a little dip too. Um, was very fortunate to work with a, a talented um, architectural firm uh, in Chicago doing residential design work, um, but really just missed the pace and the energy of being in restaurants. And, um, you know, I loved my job. I loved being able to create and design, but I was able to find an organization where I could kind of merge all of those passions together. Um, and with Lettuce Now, I still get to be very involved in the design and the kind of creating um, of, of these concepts and of the spaces and of the music and of the uniforms. And, um, you know, I get to flex that muscle on a daily basis with our operators. Oh, that's cool. Does that, does that keep your parents from being upset that you went into the restaurant industry that you get to use your architecture degree too? Or um, no, they're just curious anyway. Well, I have typical Asian parents. So I think they're just disappointed that I'm not a doctor in general. Uh, but um, no, I think, you know, they, they love that. I think they feel proud and they love the fact that I'm, I'm with a team that, um, you know, they, they see, I guess, how much pride I take in my work and, and the people that I work with, the, the professionals every day that I get to collaborate with, they, they recognize um, how fulfilling that is for me. And, you know, just this weekend, I had uh, 10 family members in from Bangkok and I was able to show them around our properties and we came and dined at the, the omakase room and then we went and had cocktails at three dots and a dash uh, afterwards. And they were blown away by the breath and the creativity and the, you know, the experience that they had while in town. And um, I, I feel incredibly proud of that, being able to share that with them. Yeah, that's awesome. You, you should be proud, but obviously parents' expectations are not always, you know. <laughs> No, I don't, it's, I don't you know, know how to finish that sentence. They're, being yeah. from Chicago, I, you know, of course, I think, um, you know, I, I think as most first generation parents, um, and, you know, this is obviously a larger conversation, but you see a lot of second generation children not jumping into their parents' restaurants and not um, continuing the legacy of, of these establishments. And I think there's always that idea of, you know, your parents want you to kind of do better than they did or, or not have to work as hard as they did. Right. And, and that's, that's the dream. Um, so for my parents, I knew that there was a while there where they didn't love the idea of me being in hospitality and having the same kind of lifestyle, this demanding, uh, schedule. But, um, you know, if you're in Chicago, if you live in Chicago, you, I think know and respect the, the team that I've decided to play for, you know, so uh, let us entertain you is, is a uh, um, incredible organization uh, and it's well-regarded. So, it, you know, it's not like I left and decided to be his competitor down the block. Right. I, I, um, I decided to join a team that has given me a ton of opportunity. So they're, they're thrilled with that. Well, and, and your title is managing partner, right? So you have skin in the game. Yes. That's I do have some skin in the game and that's another uniqueness of, of the, the team that I'm on, you know, it's, um, it's an incredibly, I think, gracious and, um, and special structure where, you know, operators, chefs, uh, all different types of talents um, get to become a partner and, and own part of the businesses that they help create and operate. And I think it's why we were able to attract and, and cultivate and maintain so much talent in the organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you are a Thai American and you are working in Japanese restaurants, which I mean, I guess a lot of people would say, oh, sure, Asian. But you know, <laughs> obviously 
Japanese food and Thai food are, are really different from each other. So, I mean, sure. so how, I, I mean, I, do you ever, does it ever happen that you get pigeonholed? Like, oh, Asian, do an Asian. Or, or was it more nuanced and organic in, in the way that you got involved in the Japanese restaurant? You know, I certainly feel like it was organic. We, um, the, the story of how I got involved in ramen-san was that I was actually involved in a bistro, a French bistro uh, with Let Us Entertain You. I was managing the French bistro and we wanted to evolve this bar area. You know, the, this incredible French bistro had a full dining room of about 150 seats, I'll call it, and then a bar room that was probably a little bit too generous for what we needed um, for a bar. And, you know, I think there were like 30 high boy tables in there and there was just too many seats. Um, and we said, you know, how could we better utilize this space? What do we want to do here? And one of our chefs at the time was just kind of making some comida, making some lunch for the team and made ramen and, um, you know, the executive partners that I work with, the team that I was with at the time fell in love with that cuisine type. It really started as like a comida one day where we said, man, this is really, th this is craveable, you know, like I want more of this. And we started doing some more research and, um, you know, formed a team and just started to kind of cultivate uh, that very organic interest. And then we decided, hey, let's take a trip to Tokyo. Let's go out there and eat and do some R&D. And um, I was fortunate to be a part of that trip. And, you know, after not many months, we decided to open a ramen shop um, and, again, kind of pay homage to this cuisine that we had fallen in love with and, and really thought was just a delicious and fun thing that we could bring to the neighborhood. And we opened ramen song. So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't this, like, let's get, let's get Amory to do this kind of adjacent Asian concept. I, I really do feel like it was just right place at the right time. And, um, and, uh, you know, we, we built something really special together, I think. Well, that's, that's awesome. And you're up to three locations of ramen song and two of sushi song. And so the omakase room, you said that's in one of the sushi sons, right? The omakase room is a space above the original sushi san location on Grand in River North. So downstairs is a, <clears throat> excuse me, downstairs is an energetic 135-seat uh, restaurant with a small patio. Um, we opened that in 2017. Uh, so we've been open for five years. We've had the space upstairs, which actually was a storage closet. Um, with a little kitchenette in it uh, from the office building adjacent to us. And, um, you know, working with Kaze, I, again, I, everything kind of starts with the food, right? Everything starts with um, tastings and uh, falling in love with a cuisine or a style of cuisine. And <clears throat> the same way we engineered Sushi-san and created that around Kaze's talents, um, we did a lot of omakase um, experiences in Sushi-san and just, always wanted a grander uh, kind of more intentional space for Kaze uh, to be able to express his, his cuisine. And yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, we, we've had the space again for several years and um, you know, started designing it pre COVID. Uh, and then obviously COVID happened and we thought, you know, having 10 strangers sitting next to each other at, at one communal table probably wasn't the best strategy. No, so so we had to put a pause on it like everyone else in the world, right? We, we just kind of pivoted and focused on um, some other things and taking care of our teams and our guests and staying safe. And um, 
you know, immediately as things started, uh, you know, I say this uh, real carefully, but as things started to take a turn for the positive and we felt more optimistic, we, we immediately said, hey, let's get back to work on the Omakase project. And eight weeks ago, um, you know, as things continue to get kind of more optimistic and things open up every day, we said, hey, let's, let's, let's go do this, right? Let's introduce this and let's uh, finally be able to take care of some people and, and share what we've been working on with our guests. So just as Omicron nine weeks was, ago. Yeah, so just as Omicron was ebbing, you said, let's do it. And you pulled the trigger and... Yeah, you know, it's just like, it's like when you have something and you just want to share it so bad, right? And it's like, right. listen, we got to, it's, it's, we, we got to just kind of take the wrapping paper off this thing. And, and, uh, you know, and, and whatever comes in the future, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we, we can stop adjusting and we can stop pivoting and, um, you know, we can just kind of get back to doing what we all love to do. But, um, you know, if, if we have to make a change, we'll make another change, right? And we'll, we'll, it'll be okay. We're all going to get through it. Right. I mean, it, it's really amazing what restaurants, and this is something we could talk about forever and it's getting old, that, you know, the way restaurants adjusted over the past two years in ways that we always knew restaurants were adaptable, but we had no idea that they could become a grocery store and then two weeks later be a takeout restaurant and sell burgers instead of whatever fine dining thing they were doing and, and then do 55 other things. Uh, and then eventually say, okay, now we're going to just be a restaurant again with more takeout and delivery. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've had this conversation over and over and over again. Uh, I just, I'm so proud, not just of our teams, but of the industry. And this is not at all to, um, I mean, listen, not, not, not everyone made it through the last right. two years, right? There, there was a, a, a tremendous amount of concepts and great restaurants and teams that um, weren't fortunate enough to make it through the last two years. And it's incredibly sad, but you look at generally the ability of all of the creativity in this industry and the incredible individuals that, um, that supported one another and, and supported uh, their peers during this unimaginable time. And I think it's, there, there is no better microcosm for how this business works and kind of how we all feel about one another that it was, you know, the last two years, I, I called people that I had never met before to ask them advice on things and, and they called me and, um, it was just, you know, I, I think that is certainly the silver lining that came out of the last two years, right? Seeing just the the adaptability, the agility, and the creativity that came out of all of these restaurants pivoting. But you know, I again, not to not to um, not to be so sad about it. I think what's great is that we're seeing. I'm sure you've seen in your neighborhood as well that restaurants are uh, rebounding. Patios feel full, dining rooms feel full. People are sitting at bars again. Bars are. I, I, I honestly couldn't imagine there was a time there. I couldn't imagine a bar two or three deep again. Like I just couldn't imagine crawling over a shoulder to grab a cocktail. And I did that last weekend. So, <laughs> so and you know, like, fun. yeah, and it's fun and it's exciting. And, and I think there's, it's, I can feel Chicago is ready to just absolutely burst, uh, you know, when we can stop getting snow outside, I think, um, I think our operators and I think a lot of operators feel as much optimism about their businesses as, as we have in quite a while, actually. It's um, it feels great to, you know, to have a little bit of open field in front of you again. Totally. Well, and, and for Chicago, this time of year or maybe a month from now is, is the awesome time in Chicago anyway, when everybody's been hibernating all winter and it gets to 20 below and it's miserable. And now the sun comes out and everybody's super psyched. Sure. Um, so the 
how's the Omakase room doing? You got 10 seats, you got, I imagine We're, it's expensive. What, what's it cost to eat at the Omakase room? So um, the Omakase for the 18 course Omakase is $250 per guest, plus tax and, and gratuity. Um, we have beverage pairings, we have a full cocktail list, we have a, a curated uh, sake and wine list and a whiskey list of over 115, I think at this point, uh, bottles of Japanese whiskey, a little bit of Taiwanese in the collection as well. Um, so, you know, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly uh, you know, I recognize it's on everyday experience for everyone. It's a, it's a special and, and luxurious uh, kind of experience. But I also know that what we've uh, always been laser focused on creating is, is value. So I, I don't mean this, um, you know, I, I don't mean this in, in jest, but I think you can still provide incredible value at a high check average. Um, so, you know, for us, the idea of a $250 dinner experience and guests leaving feeling like they got a $350 dinner experience is exactly what we've always tried to do. And we've, that's been the culture downstairs as well, you know, where we're selling uh, bluefin tuna um, from Belfago, Spain, and we're selling Faroe Island salmon and, uh, you know, bringing in urchin from all over the world and line caught fish from, from Japan. And we're doing it in a way where we're giving as much value as we can every night. You know, there's no, we, we've always said as a team, there's no virtue to bringing in all this, all these special ingredients. If you, you know, if you make it inaccessible, right. So um, the idea of, um, of giving, you know, something my dad kind of instilled in me, but just always giving guests more than they could ever expect. And if you do that at any check average, I think there's value there. Right. Well, in fact, it's actually, if you can afford it, it's higher value to have all these very fancy, luxurious ingredients. I mean, I'm sure your food cost is high. I, I remember years ago, uh, somebody from a consumer publication wanted me to talk about like the biggest ripoffs in restaurants. And he figured it was foie gras or truffles. I'm like, no, it's pasta and pizza. Those are the cheap things that, you know, have a very low food cost that are marked up the most and uh, that are the most profitable for, for restaurants generally. So, I mean, it is the fancy stuff that really is the value. Well, you know, when you understand, I think what it takes, not only in um, kind of the experience and the training that Kaze-san and Shige-san, our masters have gone through in their lives to, to be able to take care of guests in this manner and to be able to work with these ingredients. But when you also talk to the purveyors and the fishermen, um, and the, the distillers that we work with and all of the, you kind of really understand at a granular level, all of the moving pieces that come together. Um, you know, I'm confident that it's a, it's a value, right? It's, um, you know, to see Chef Kaze and Chef Shige breaking down a needlefish and it, you know, takes them hours to be able to, to have 20 portions for the two turns that we have. Um, you understand that, right? And you start to feel that. Um, and uh, I think just the care and the respect that they take for all of the ingredients that we bring in, um, you know, the fact that we're writing menus basically until the guest sits down of what, uh, you know, what is absolutely the best, the best components and the best ingredients that we were delivered that day. I, that to me is incredibly special. Now you, you mentioned Shige-san, who is that? Uh, Shige-san uh, is uh, a gentleman on our team as well. Um, a chef that uh, was actually born in Hokkaido uh, and then moved here to Chicago in the early 90s. Um, 
and you know, like Kaze-san, has worked in so many influential concepts here in Chicago. You know, between the two of our uh, of our chefs at the counter, there's over sixty years of sushi wisdom um, between the two of them. And you know, the interesting thing is these guys have been kind of orbiting one another for many, many years. They one leaves a concept, the other kind of comes in uh, to replace them. Um, you know, they work in concepts right next door to each other. They, you know, their family members have worked together and they've just never had a, had an opportunity to work together. And, and just one of these talents would have been exciting enough and an impetus enough for us to open an omakase concept. And the fact that we can have the two of them working side by side is, um, you know, sometimes actually doesn't feel real. Uh, it, we're incredibly fortunate to have these two guys standing next to each other and taking care of our guests. And how is, how's business? How's it doing? Uh, we are thrilled. We've been full every single service. Um, you know, we're only open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings right now. And the only reason for that is that the, um, the products that we're getting and the velocity of line caught fish from Japan just isn't, isn't available now Tuesdays and Wednesdays every week at a consistent level. So, um, we are, you know, the chefs are and the team here are absolutely, um, committed to serving exactly what we think, uh, you know, it is, um, is what we want to showcase and, and partnering with uh, the distributors that are going out and, and the, the fishermen and farmers that are, you know, that have had a rough two years as well, right? And, and we want to support um, all of those different uh, partners of ours. And um, we're open uh, three evenings, um, two turns, 5.30 and 8.30 p.m., um, 10 guests at, at each seating. And we've been very fortunate over the first nine weeks to have been full every day. And do, um, do you sell tickets and, and have a prepaid situation? like? Uh, yeah, so um, our, our tickets or our reservations are available on TOC. Um, you, know, you can go through our website or you can go through in, on TOC. Another local company, TOC. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, a, and a great partner of ours. And another example, I think, of kind of the quick thinking and pivoting that happened over the last two years. Um, an incredible team there um, that has worked with us closely. But um, yeah, guests, guests go on to talk. They can pre-select beverage, uh, sake and wine pairings. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been, we've been incredibly fortunate to, to be busy and, and have received some really stellar feedback. I think, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of is that in the first nine weeks, we've had guests that have joined us. We have a couple sets of guests actually that have joined us three or more times in nine weeks. Whoa. Good for them. Yeah, that, I mean, that is good for them, uh, but great for us. I really, you know, it's, it's, I think there's no greater compliment. I, I think we all get, you know, we all are very proud when we hear great feedback, but to see a guest come back through your doors is the ultimate compliment. So um, we've been able to do that a couple of times now and our guests are incredibly loyal to us. And I think recognize what we're trying to do here. You know, it, it feels, you know, the omakase room was really designed to break down a lot of the formality and to break down a lot of the um the stuffiness that that sometimes accompanies this check average or this style of dining and you know we have so much respect and we have so much um i mean we take such great care i think to be respectful and pay homage to traditional omakase dining but the thing that we have always experienced, Kaze and myself, my business partners, when, when we go out and dine in this style of dining is that there, I just wish there was a little bit more 
lively. You know, I wish the music was a little bit louder. I wish I could ask the chef or feel comfortable enough to have a conversation with the chef and ask him about a technique or an ingredient or, you know, to explain something. And I think a lot of times out of wanting to be respectful, you, you don't right in a traditional, uh, sushi or, or omakase experience. And for us, it was imperative that the second you walk into the room, you feel like you were seated at, you know, chef Kaze's kitchen counter, uh, and you're coming into his home. And, you know, you, when you walk into the space and you're, you're greeted, uh, you know, in kind of like a living room or like a loft type environment, you know, you have a cocktail, you can kind of decompress. You don't have to worry about showing up three minutes early or late for an omakase and trying to time it perfectly. We give all of our guests an, ex- an opportunity to sit and just kind of decompress and, and relax and enjoy a beverage. And uh, then we bring you into the omakase room. Um, we've engineered the space where, um, you know, you're seated at a dining dining counter height instead of a bar stool height. So you're seated comfortably in a, a big kind of bucket seat and, uh, and the chefs actually walk behind the counter and down a few steps so that they end up at eye level with our guests. Um, and there's a really intimate relationship between the chef and, and all of our guests. Their Hanoki cutting boards that we imported are at the exact same level as our guests' uh, dining surface. So there's just a real intimacy to that experience. And um, you know that's exactly what we've always wanted, right? For you to feel like Hey, I'm just like sitting at Kaze's house and he's just giving me the 18 best pieces of fish that you can find anywhere. Well, that seems very Chicago, but it also doesn't seem uh, contradictory to Japanese culture in my limited experience. I've only been to Japan a couple of times, but we think of it as this very formal, sort of formulaic, ritual-oriented culture. But if you just hang out with Japanese people, you just have a really good time and drink a lot and eat delicious food, just like anywhere Absolutely. else. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that there is just, there's such an intention to everything I found in Japanese culture, right? And that intention and that respect and that care and craft isn't antithetical to having a great time, right? It's not like Japanese people can party. Like they, yeah. you know what I mean? Wow. Like it's it's so fun. If you've been to Tokyo, you're like, man, this makes my hometown feel feel quaint, right? And and like quiet. Yeah. It's it's a party. So um for us, uh you know, that that was that's exactly what we're trying to do, which is let's let's not worry about creating a temple. Let's worry about um how do we make sure every guest feels like they are coming into just an, a, a delicious, hospitable environment and having a great time. And, and that's what our job is, right. To make people feel comfortable and, um, and hopefully to exceed their, their culinary expectations as well. You know, it reminds me of, uh, sort of when I was in Niigata, Japan for a sake festival, which was awesome. And it was just me as the food writer and a, uh, beverage writer and cocktail specialist who was there as the cocktail guy. And we were in this little, very, um, cocktail focused cocktail room that was just a long sort of hallway and we stood there and we watched intensely as the bartender was making the cocktail and he was peeling every piece of fruit to order and you know you could hear a pin drop and then all of a sudden the 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 mixologist the bartender just burst out laughing because the tension was so ridiculous right. he's like what the fuck are we doing like <laughs> have a drink you know it's okay yeah. and and it was just really funny to to you know let the, all of those guards down 
you know, Kaze-san and Shige-san oftentimes, be, because of the environment that we're in, uh, you know, we're, we're so grateful to be a part of a lot of celebrations, right? A lot of people are coming here for anniversaries or birthdays or, or special milestones. And oftentimes they will start the evening actually with a big toast and a kanpai to all of the guests and, and kind of call out special things that we're celebrating in the room. And I think just that you can immediately see the tension in the room and kind of everyone take a collective breath. Because again, and, and I'm, this is not at all to disparage uh, the other incredible omakases that we've seen, but I just, you know, it's like, God, you, you, we've all, I think, been to omakases that are incredible. And you feel like if I spill, like I'm, I, I will never be welcomed back here. You know, if I, if I sneeze, that is a, a disgrace. And right. it's like, no guys, we're, we're hanging out. Yes. You know, we're hanging out and we happen to be hanging out with the best ingredients that you can find. And here's a little bit of caviar and, you know, here's some shaved truffle and here's a piece of Chateau Une uh, beef and fresh ground wasabi from Shizuoka, but we're hanging out, you know? And it's great to be alive. Yeah, absolutely. And God, I, what, what, what a truer statement after the last two, two years, right? Let's celebrate. Absolutely. So, Amarit, what gets you excited about the restaurant industry? Because you come from a restaurant family and you're in management. So is it is it the, the as you kind of indicated, the general energy of restaurants? Or do you get psyched about food or beverage or what? What, what do you really love about it? I mean, the best memories that I have, the best experiences of my life usually involve a table and food and a glass of something, right? I, all the times I can think of laughing so hard that my stomach hurts. I'm usually sitting around a, a dinner table with friends and family. Um, you know, you think about like, what would my last meal be? Like, it's, it's all about food and beverage and sharing that with people, um, sharing it with a guest, but how great that, you know, my, my career and my profession involves being able to share that and help create that for others too. So I, you know, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but I, I honestly think there's no better experience than a great meal. I, there, there is not, you know, a great meal with great people. That's as good as that gets. Um, and if I can be a part of that or help contribute to that in any way, that's, that's awesome. You know, and I, I feel incredibly passionate about that. And again, with this organization, I get to do it with all different cuisine types and you know, all different types of wine and all, all different types of beverages. And, um, and I get to create and, and help kind of craft some of those moments. I think that's spectacular. And, you know, in this business, you get to work with incredibly devoted um, and creative people. Um, and, you know, I see things coming out of our chefs and our beverage teams where I'm just like, I don't know how, I don't know how you thought of that. You know, I like, I don't know how you thought those combinations would work, but they work. And, um, and, you know, you get to see people's creativity and kind of discipline and technical abilities all come together. And like the Venn diagram of that in the middle, it's, it's a special place to be, you know? So, um, and I feel like I just gave you like 30 answers, but that's what I love about this business. Yeah, I think you summed it up really well. Uh, and so what are, what are the plans for uh, Ramen San Sushi San and the Omakase Room to expand? Um, well, the omakase room, you know, is nine weeks old. So right now, you know, we, we feel great about where we are and we're so excited, but every day is a learning process for us. Right. And we're, we're still absolutely 
kind of honing and evolving the the experience. And um, you know, we appreciate our honest guest feedback and our regulars that have come in several times have given us uh, really, I think, really great things that we can do to improve. And um, you know, even in the nine weeks, uh, we've made some changes. Um, you know, the menu, literally the menu on a Friday will be different than the menu on a Thursday or Saturday. So that's really fun. Um, but I think right now it's just about providing the best omakase experience in Chicago that night, every evening, every time we lace up and, and we, you know, we, we jump into service in terms of expansion of the omakase room. I'm just hoping that we execute at the level we can right now at this store. That's, that's kind of the laser focus of the entire team here. And if there are more in the future, absolutely. We'd love to do that. Right. But that's, that's I, candidly, that's not where my head is with the concept now. Kaze, um, Shige, San, uh, all of us are just focused on providing the absolute most stellar experience that we can. Um, Sushi-san, we have, uh, you know, Sushi-san has been really incredible over the last five years. We've found that guests have found us during COVID that have never been in the restaurant before, that will only know us through our delivery and carryout programs, um, that are now dining in the omakase room and, and have never been in the space before and have trusted us and have seen, I think, enough uh, quality and consistency and care in a carryout box to come and dine with us in a $250 omakase experience. And that is like humbling, right? To, to see that happen. Sushi-san, as I said, we're about to announce another location um, in Chicago as well. Uh, I would love to do a lot more Sushi-sans. And I think the team shares that optimism with me. We, we think that um, you know, we'll kind of always tinker and, and evolve concepts as we go to a different neighborhood. And we like kind of that uniqueness within a specific market or even within a specific neighborhood. But we're excited to do more sushi-sans um, together. And I think there might even be some opportunities to do sushi-sans and ramen-sans uh, as dual concepts next to each other as we scale. Um, but, you know, we, it's, for us, it's always about organic growth. And it's less about like, hey, we got to get to five units or 10 units in the next X amount of time. It's more about, hey, do we have the teams and the people that are still passionate about this? And the opportunities will come organically. I don't want to talk a whole lot about delivery because it depresses me, but the idea of... Why does it depress you? Um, because it's all that anybody could do for a long time. But the fact that you guys managed to deliver sushi in a way that it was palatable, I think is quite impressive. It's, it's one of the things I would never have delivered because it has to be made super fresh and put in front of you and then you put it in your mouth and all the textures and the temperatures are right. So... And clearly you did it well enough that people said this takeout sushi is so good that I'm going to just empty my wallet onto the table in the omakase room and, and have the food there. So were there things that you figured out how to do to transport sushi well? Well, you know, I, delivery, delivery is actually something that I was passionate about before you know, it became fashionable during COVID or it became kind of the only thing you could do, right? right. Um, I genuinely think that, you know, the reason I, I wanted to ask you why it depresses you is because, you know, I genuinely think a part of hospitality is being able to say yes and being able to take care of people wherever they'd like to be taken care of. So, you know, if, if you want to come in and dine with us in the dining room, I, of course, love that. But if you're 
not feeling up for it and you want to sit at home and, you know, veg out and, and I can take care of you there. Um, I want to be able to do that too, you know, and I, I don't ever want to dictate, uh, like what, what is comfortable for you? You know, of course there are limits to that. And of course there are things that don't travel and things that, um, we wouldn't be able to do, you know, just, just because of our quality standards and, and kind of the pragmatic aspect of delivering food across the city. But I think it also starts with that, right. Which is that, okay, well, we want to be um, able to take care of you when you're at home or at the office. There are some things that we're unwilling to do because we know those won't travel well. So we just engineer a menu that doesn't have those things. You know, so um, your your question was, you know, what did, did we find anything out or were there any kind of tricks that we figured out? And I think the first thing is that, you know, you can't be everything to everybody. So you have to really look at, okay, let's let's look at our P-mix. Let's look at the entire menu and engineer the items that we know will travel well. And let's really put in the, you know, the work to figure out what are the best containers for this? What is you know, we have so many custom pieces in the restaurants, um, you know, where they're not just off the shelf kind of plastic containers, but Sushi-san and Ramen-san actually go to great lengths to work with custom um, recycled paper manufacturers to, to build things for us that we know will work with our uh, menu items. Um, and it's, you know, it's about kind of crafting what you know you will be excited for a guest to enjoy an hour later. Um, and then for sure, I mean, there are, you know, there, there's a lot of hurdles with temperature and with timing and making sure that, you know, the, if there's sushi that's sitting on a counter and the driver hasn't come yet, we throw that out and we remake it, you know, and it's, we're not, we're not going to let a driver leave the restaurant with 40 minute old sushi. Um, so we, we go to a lot of lengths to make sure that the experience in the dining room that you have is as close as, as we can make it to the experience that you have in our restaurant. And, you know, we don't always get it right. Right. And when we, when we don't get it right, part of being hospitable is owning, owning up to that and, and resolving that. So I think that's the other team that we do. The other thing that we do well, which is that, you know, if, if a guest ever feels like, you know, an experience wasn't up to par that we own that, you know, and, and we invite them back into the restaurant or we, we figure out how to make it right. I see managers getting in their cars. I've gotten in my car partners are, you know, getting in their cars and, redelivering things to guests as needed. So I think it's just about caring, you know, if you care enough to make it work, as we've seen in the last two years, we can, we can figure a lot of stuff out. Yeah. I'm now imagining just sitting in my bathtub and eating awesome sushi. And that does sound pretty great. <laughs> well, we can make that happen. You let me know. I mean, I, I could have warm sake actually floating in the tub. Before that, <laughs> a for cold plunge tub and a hot, and a hot tub. I like that. Yeah. All of that. Um, I thought I had one other question, but I got so distracted by my own vision of by the oh, thought of that. you drinking sake in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, while eating sushi. Um, but the you know positive feedback is always great, but as you indicated, negative feedback is actually really important because that's how you learn and how you fix the stuff, and you can figure out whether negative feedback I think is coming from a negative place or a positive place, like if they're trying to help you or if they're just being dicks. I, I agree. What was the question there? <laughs> yeah, no. I yes. just to the answer it. is yes. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, the distinction I think you're trying to make is negative feedback versus constructive feedback. Right. Right. I mean, you you better believe that I dined here with my family two days ago and I called my partner the next day and called our chefs the next day and gave constructive feedback. Because right. that's, I mean, if we're not trying to get better every day, if we're not being honest with one another, then the hell are we doing, you know? 
So I, I, I actually really like that from our guests where they will tell us, Hey, like these things were great. And I think there's opportunity here. And I think that's why, you know, with my business partners and with our chefs, there's very little ego, which I know is not always the case and on every team, but we push one another and we, we kind of try to figure out how we can, you know, how we can do this better tomorrow. And I, I know that's like such a eye roll thing to say, but that's really the culture. Well, that's what running a restaurant is. You have to be there every day and you have to pay attention to everything that happens. There are all these moving parts. And if something goes wrong, you fix it as well as you can. And then you go on to the next day. And, you know, it comes from trusting the people you work with, right? And trusting your team. So if, if there is a dish that I don't like touches my palate the wrong way, but our chefs or um, my business partner, Daryl Smith, who's incredibly knowledgeable, uh, about uh, every, I mean, I'm blown away by his knowledge. Uh, you know, if we disagree on something, there's a trust there, right? Of like, hey, I, I don't like it. I don't think this is the best that we could be doing here. But, you know, I trust that you guys have the knowledge and understanding and, and you know, we'll get guest feedback on it, you know? So it's, um, I think that kind of helps everyone. That, that just helps us make progress, you know? Totally. Well, we've been talking a long time. I'm Marie Julia Pybul. So I thank you for taking the time to hang out with me. It's uh, my pleasure. This was really enjoyable. Well, we'll do it again. And I'm going to be in Chicago for the restaurant show. So, hey, maybe we'll get a chance to hang out. If you want to come in, uh, I, I don't know about Saki in your bathtub, but Saki anywhere else, we'll, <laughs> we'll hang out. <laughs>